You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we are back, and this time we are talking about Looney Tunes. That's right, celebrating the 90th anniversary. Oh, sorry. <laughs> As I'm just you not background music. You are background mi- music, Mike, tonight. Suddenly I'm not background, suddenly I'm foreground music. Exactly. You know, I I have that effect on you. You know, you just come to the foreground whenever I, you know, shut up and you just go, oh, I'm talking. Okay. So it's Mike Gordon is here, of course. Howdy. What's up, Doc? Mm, you despicable person, you. How are you this week, sir? Peachy keen and yourself? You munching on your carrot and ready to go? <laughs> sure sure you just have to remember to make that left turn in albuquerque so man so many good like it's it's difficult to like like there's so many lines that pop into my head when we talk about looney tunes that it's like how do i not talk about this stuff it's amazing be very very quiet we're hunting podcasters <laughs> <laughs> so it should be a lot of fun so it should be an interesting episode. I've been looking forward to this one since we put it on the schedule and it's going to be fun to talk about. And, you know, it's been a while since we've done a pure animation episode for a bit. So we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. So please write us at earthstation one at esonetwork.com. We definitely would love to hear from you. And, you know, of course, you know, as we keep on saying, please, 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 let everybody know that there is now an earth station one website, earthstation1.com, And you can see all past episodes of earth station one right now. We're slowly moving, putting onto the new website, older episodes. So as we're doing it, you know, we're probably right now about a year into it, you know, so we're, you can go back to the beginning of, 2019 now and here all the way back from then but we're going to go even further back we're going to try to get it that you can go all the way back to episode one of earth station one not that you want to listen to that it was really bad folks trust me i was there so <laughs> i know but you know definitely take a peek at it earthstation1.com definitely would love you guys to check it out and also while you're you know going to listen to the show please remember to if you take a second to subscribe to leave feedback or you know rate the show you know five stars would be the best that we could ever ask for from you but leave it whatever you feel we would just appreciate it so definitely do that we're up on every media player you could think of you know the only one i think we're not on right now is i don't think we're on pandora yet but we're on our way we yet. will be there yet is the big thing so definitely look for us wherever you listen to find podcasts we're even there so it's pretty awesome with that being said let's jump in both feet to this week's rants and raves where we talk about what's on our mind mr mike what have you got for us 
Well, uh, you know, the, the, all things come change, th- to change, change comes along, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of, you know, quotes, cliches, uh, even video killed the radio star it applies to this. But um, uh, so there was a news item uh, that came out uh, a week or so ago, uh, a local station that uh, was uh, part of my history. Uh, growing up in New England in in uh, Western County, Massachusetts, um, is is uh, been sold new ownership, um, and there it's been a rock station uh, since uh, the early seventies, uh, as far as I know. It goes back that far, um, and it's now you know under new ownership, and it's gonna it's gonna become uh, more of a, a Christian based uh, music um, station. So it's completely changing, and um, you know, WAF in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, like I said, it was a it was a staple uh, growing up. Um, I didn't always listen to it, but I was always aware of it. Um, you couldn't drive around uh, my neck of the woods without seeing bumper stickers with WAF. Um, Crank it up was their uh, <laughs> was their um, moniker back then. Um, and it just was, like I said, part of my childhood, another Boston station, rock station of note, uh, WBCN also recently, uh, changed over to a different format as well. And, you know, I mean, look, I mean, as we get older, we see things change, right? Um, it is kind of sad in a lot of ways. Um, but, um, I know Mike, as far as, uh, you know, as your history goes, especially with radio, um, it's, I, I don't listen to actually radio anymore. I certainly don't listen to radio. The only time I listen to radio um, is when I listen to Braves games in my car. Uh, it's the only time I turn the radio on. Any other time, certainly listen to um, music uh, or anything like that. I uh, I don't I don't listen to the radio on that. I listen to podcasts. I listen to um, playlists. Um, you know, I think we're all kind of programmed that way. Um, is anybody listening to music or listening to radio anymore? I, I mean, I'm not surprised if the answer is no, but it's kind of sad, right? Oh, very much so. It's really interesting, actually, because we actually just canceled our subscription to Sirius XM even because we were not listening to that anymore because now that we have unlimited data on our phones, we either listen to Pandora, we listen to Stitcher, or we listen to the music that's up on my phone or or podcasts. It just all depends. So we don't listen. Atlanta radio sucks. And that's just a fact. And sorry if we have any listeners who actually work in but, Atlanta but radio. to be fair, isn't that true like of most areas now? I mean, it's yeah. all corporate. It's all clear channel. It's all... Oh, very um, much so. But I'm. it's like for a while I was still listening to at least to the NPR station here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But I don't even do that anymore. And I had volunteered at the station for years to help them out with production a little bit and also uh, calls, you know, doing the pledge drives and everything, but also going out on appearances and stuff, helping them set up for, you know, events and such. But I don't even do that anymore because I don't listen to the station. I still support it financially, but I don't, you know, that's not here or there. But it's just most corporate radio now is dead air for me. 
you know, it's all the same, you know, whitewashed crap that, you know, I don't even care for anymore. And I might be sounding old, but it's just, there's no originality anymore in radio. Any of the like smaller, you know, shops that used to own, you know, radio stations to, you know, but that didn't have playlists that were free form radio stations and stuff like that. It just doesn't exist anymore. And that's, that's the tough part about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want this to be, you know, I certainly didn't want this to be like a old men yell that no one's listening to the radio kind of segment, because I mean, obviously we are, it, it amazes the, the thing about, you know, if anybody is listening to this, that's sort of like Ashley's age, you know, or a younger um, you know, they don't, they don't understand how important radio was to us. Um, you know, I mean, radio was, uh, like, you know, we had, cause we had like, you know, five TV channels, you know, and, and radio, we had a bunch of different channels and we had, uh, you know, I mean, depending on which radio station you listen to, that was like the world, uh, as far as, you know, I mean, it was the reason why. Now, um, you know, like I said, I, I grew up with AAF as well, but I also listened to Kiss 108 and some other stations as well. Like I was, it was very rare for someone in, in my sort of environment to like, you know, to be exposed to, to um, disco music, to, to soul music, to early, early hip hop music. Um, but Kiss 108 did that for me. Um, and I really was attracted to it big time. Um, in such a way that a lot of my, you know, classmates and stuff were not, um, and, you know, but even, even I knew what WAF was and I knew that, you know, all the, the rock songs, the rock bands, ACDC, KISS and all that kind of stuff at the time, just because, you know, there were, there were, we all shared, I think what was important was we all shared these, uh, these common, links whether it was you know tv radio what have you we all could kind of relate to it because it was all familiar to everybody now everything is so spread out across the internet across streaming services across many different cable channels that not a lot of people are watching the same thing at the same time not a lot of people are listening to the same thing at the same time look if i mean we've talked to musicians i if you're trying to get um a gold album a platinum album i don't know how you do that now well a lot of people and bands do not make their money anymore off the albums they make it off of touring and you know and such you know playing you know anywhere coast to coast or even international they just don't it just doesn't happen anymore that they make the money off their CDs because, you know, a most people stream their music and no one buys really a physical CD anymore. I have friends of mine who are in a band out of Virginia and they've been putting out CDs for the last 25 years and they are about to stop selling CDs and such. They're just going to be streaming their music for people to purchase off of their website because they can make more money that way. And, you know, like when somebody buys a CD or a song off of like iTunes or Apple pop, Apple music or whatever, you know, way you go, it's like what a dollar 29 to 99 cents for a song. 
you know how much music the or money the band makes for that? They only make like six cents off each song. So it's almost it's almost like nothing, which is pretty pathetic, truthfully. And it, it's just it's just crazy compared to what it used to be. And so, like they said, my friends say they make more money off of selling the T-shirts or at the concerts than they do off the, you know, music anymore. And they just, you know, and they go, that's why they go out to promote and everything and play and do live appearances. And that's where they make most of their money, which is pretty interesting. But, you know, for me, it's, you know, on my, right now I have 12,000 songs on my iPhone and I have no reason to listen to the radio. And, you know, I pick up new music all the time, either from Apple or going to UCD stores and picking those up and then burning them onto my phone. So it just adds to my collection. I, there's no reason to listen to the radio anymore. And that's like goes full circle. That's why we went back to cancel, you know, XM, you know, and like you said, Mike, I grew up with hippies as parents and, you know, I've said it multiple times on the show in the past, but they introduced me to a lot of a really big appreciation for music. And we were, we, as kids, we had AM radios and listened to the local radio stations outside of Washington, DC. And, you know, you know, at night we'd be able to hear stations from all around the country because of the signal bouncing and everything. But it was always cool to hear new songs and, you know, stuff now, that you, you know, it's considered, of course, classic rock because Mike and I are old, but you know, it's just part of the fun stuff about it. So it's just, you know, it's just interesting stuff. And I think, you know, it's going to become more and more diverse because people aren't, like you said, aren't listening to the same thing anymore. It's not like you people have five, five to 10 radio stations in the city to hear you know, what's the the hottest stuff and everything. And, you know, there, there's not even really top 40 anymore. It's all, you know, segregated. There's a country station or there's a rap station. There's a R&B station. There's a, you know, classic rock station. There maybe is even a yacht rock station, you know, but there's nothing new that's putting out, you know, that everybody can listen to. And, you know, I'm sure some of this stuff exists and people can get, you know, uh, knowledge from things, uh, you know, from various sources. But it's, you know, the Internet is so full of information. Sometimes it's, things get lost. And so, I mean, on the one hand, I'm, I feel like we're blessed with uh, all these options that we have because it's amazing. You can find a lot of things that I would have killed for back in the day. Right. But you know, there's something to be said when there was a limited number of radio stations, when there were a limited number of TV stations, when there were limited numbers of, uh, of options, you really depended upon certain things and you really appreciated it when things went out of your way, when media went out of your way to like give you something different, different kind of programming. Like, you know, as much as, you know, we all sort of watched, you know, Happy Days and the same uh, national stuff. Like the, the, some of the stuff that bond that we bond over is like whenever I meet someone from New England that's around my age, they remember 
uh, a lot of the local commercials. They remember the UHF channels. They remember the the programming there. Um, uh, and, you know, certainly anybody in the Worcester area uh, that's my age would remember AAF uh, for being the rock and roll station that it was. In particular, um, I will say, even though I've been saying that, you know, I kind of listened to it and it was there, there was a period in my life where AAF was like um, really just uh, something that really was instrumental to me. Um, and that was, uh, I think it was um, between my freshman and senior no, it's freshman and sophomore year in college i worked at a convenience store in the summer uh and i did late shift at this uh, convenience store gas station i did not get robbed um but i was about <laughs> to ask if you were supposed to be here today <laughs> uh yeah well, i definitely understood clerks a lot let's put it that way i identified with that but um uh so yeah i worked for a convenience sta- a store a gas station uh late hours like the late shift uh, all night long. And uh, there was a DJ that did the nighttime shift. I think that's what they called it. The, the, the nighttime work shift on AAF. And she would play, uh, she would play packages of music. I heard Aerosmith songs that I was not used to hearing. Um, it wasn't just the top ones uh, off their new album. Uh, she would play some deep cuts. Uh, she would play, take requests and I called in a few times. Uh, I even have one of those recorded on a cassette that I've uh, imported to MP3. So I actually have her uh, voice saying, this goes out to Mike, uh, which is really nice, on a, on a Bay State rock track. She would play a lot of like local bands too. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, it's bad. My, bet, my memory is getting so bad. I can't even remember her name. I can't remember the DJ's name. I've been trying to look it up. So if any listeners out there, yeah, I'm talking to you, Kevin. If any listeners out there listen to uh, AAF in the, I will say the uh, late eighties, early nineties, and were uh, familiar with either the Bay State rock segments or in particular, the nighttime work shift on AAF. Um, I just trying to remember who that DJ was because she was so cool. And, uh, and I, you know, I spent my summer with her really. Um, you know, she was, uh, she was always on in, in the evening when I was at work. Um, and it was really cool. So, um, and that's the thing, that's the kind of thing on radio that you like, I'm like, do people get that anymore? You know, like, I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if those kind of relationships, uh, exist anymore, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that things are worse now. Uh, in some ways things are a lot better. So I'm not complaining at that. It's just kind of one of those things that I'm like, man, I, I just hate to see, you know, stuff go like that. And, uh, you know, um, it was because it was important to a lot of us. A lot of us growing up, uh, stations like AAF, WBCN, I'm sure you knew stations as well that are near and dear to you that like, and I, like I said, I, I don't think they exist now. I don't think, you know, certainly when I listen to the radio now, I just don't get the same sort of connection that i did back then nope i totally understand that and it's you know it's all playlists now and i really you know don't like that even you know i got very lucky even when i my first radio job was at a legacy station in washington dc called whfs it no longer exists anymore it was the progressive radio station in town and you know i grew up listening to that station and when it was a total freeform 
you know, radio station and slowly it got bought out and became a little more corporate and they had to have somewhat of a playlist, but they still give uh, periods of the hour that a DJ could play whatever they wanted. And that was pretty awesome. And so I was able to, you know, introduce people to certain artists or if I was jonesing to hear a song or such like that, it was pretty awesome. And I don't think you're going to find that other in college radio. Truthfully, I think that's the last vestige of that anymore. And, you know, that's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. So I think before we get too depressed, I think we need to move <laughs> on. Well, we will we definitely have a main topic that's going to lighten the mood. Oh, something, most definitely. Something from our childhood that's still around, that still holds up, that we that brings a smile to everybody's faces. So, so yes, uh, we are we're not going to be grumpy old men. Instead, we're going to turn into kids again. Exactly. I think uh, UPS is at the door. I have to go get it. It's something I ordered from the Acme company. So we'll be back in a moment. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Now, before we dive into talking about the new movie coming out this week, I do want to mention that in the past I've talked about that I'm maybe not necessarily the biggest fan of the horror genre. I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to scary movies, so I've kind of avoided these historically. But I will say that some recent movies like Get Out and A Quiet Place and Bird Box have really intrigued me and kind of opened my mind a little bit to thinking, you know what, maybe some of the movies are still too scary for me, but there are some really interesting psychological thrillers in this genre that I have found really intriguing to watch. And so another one of those that looks like it might be along this line is called The Invisible Man. It's in about a woman whose abusive ex-boyfriend appears to have died And she's in a place where she has to convince people that she's being haunted by a ghost or something much scarier. Now, what seems interesting about this topic is that it could be a really powerful metaphor for how victims of abuse are tragically not always believed when they come forward with their stories. I think this is a topic that you have to be really careful when you do a movie, a fictional movie centered around a sensitive topic like this, and you want to be sure to treat the victim with respect and compassion, and you don't want to sensationalize this at all. So I would definitely want to read some reviews to make sure that they are handling this topic in the most sensitive and respective way possible. But I feel like things like this could really be a conversation starter, much in the way that Get Out was. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing reviews. I still might not be brave enough to see a horror movie in theaters, but this is one I'm definitely going to keep an eye on. On DVD this week, we have the Disney hit Frozen 2. I actually haven't seen this one yet in theaters. The first Frozen movie I thought was okay. wasn't necessarily my favorite, but it'll probably be ending up on Disney Plus soon as well. A movie that I am really excited about coming to home video is the murder mystery Knives Out. This movie was so, so good. If you haven't seen it yet, and even if you've had a few of the details spoiled for you, it's still very well worth watching. Great dialogue, great plot twists. Great acting performances. I mean, the cast for this is just phenomenal. 
And it was so great to see how well Ryan Johnson captured all these characters in a wonderful whodunit. And I've heard that Ryan Johnson has actually been greenlit to do another one of these movies, kind of taking the detective and then just telling a different story. So I'm super excited about that. It was a great film. And I'd like to see more classic murder mysteries, kind of like this one and Murder on the Orient Express. So based on how well these movies are doing, I think we might be having more on the way. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blogs over on the ESO Podcast website. Right now, I'm working on a blog series called Better Late Than Never Goes West, where I'm watching some classic westerns that I'd never seen before. This is a Nerd Atlanta flashback featuring comic book artist Lawson Chambers. Whenever people reboot things, there's this instinct to make it darker and grittier. Yeah. And they're like, we don't need to see a darker, grittier song. <laughs> Like the Hedgehog. That is wild to me. That like in the, our modern age, that our trailer for a movie could come out and fans could go, no, we hate the way that little blue man looks. Change it. <laughs> New podcast episodes will be available soon. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. We are now here with friend of the show, Goff, from Beer Nuts Productions. Welcome back, sir. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me back on the program. Oh, it is great to talk to you. How's things down in Brisbane? Yeah, no, going going all good. A uh, bit, uh, bit drizzly and wet today, but that's fine, considering uh, the heat and the bushfires we've had over the last couple of months. We're, uh, we're happy to see some rain and cooler weather, so we're, uh, we're all good down here. Oh, uh, we've been thinking about you guys during when we, because we've been covering on the news here and such, all the horror that you guys have been having with the brush fires and such. Have yeah, you, yeah, no, it, yeah, it's it's been it's more down south than where I am. I'm a bit uh, a bit north, but uh, but we still got all the smoke haze. I mean, for a few weeks there, it was like springtime in Beijing. It was uh, it was really bad with the smoke haze and general humidity and whatnot. It was uh, it was hard to breathe out there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I have friends of mine down in Melbourne, and they had a lot of it down there. It was brutal down there, no doubt. Yep. So, but we're not here to talk about the brush fires. We are here to talk no, no, about... No, we're, we're here to talk about hopefully more happier things. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Exactly. We're talking about the love that you brought in your new film to the fairer sex. Well, well, that's that's it. Because, you know, fellas, when I was thinking about what film I want to make next... I thought to myself, well, let's talk about feminism because at the end of the day, who better to tell this story than a blind 38-year-old straight single male? I'm the perfect person to make this make this film. So uh, that's why I did it. Well, according to the film, you're going to be a daddy, I think, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, there's still lawsuits pending, so I can't actually discuss that at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well... It was actually, it was up to par with all your past films and actually in some ways surpassed. I really enjoyed this. Oh, well, I'm really glad you fellas got a good laugh. Absolutely. Um, So a question for you, though. I mean, as as, uh, it seems like this is also, you know, it's a great time to have some fun with something that is, uh, you know, kind of a serious topic. And I'm guessing it's worldwide, you know, the... uh, 
sort of um, uh, Me Too movement and, you know, the sort of overall treatment of women worldwide, I, that's, that's got to be affecting your corner as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and look, you are quite right with what you said up front. I mean, feminism and women's rights and all of that sort of stuff, that, that really is really, really important, something that deserves proper, sensible discussion. But on the flip side, I like to always grab a subject that people you know, are very sensitive about, and rightly so, and I like to rip it apart and, and have a bit of a joke with it as well so that people can, you know, because there's a time to be serious and then there's also a time to have some fun as well. So hopefully people can watch my film and they get a really good laugh. I mean, it's called How to Treat Women, so it's sort of upfront so people know what they're going to get. So, uh, yeah, it, it, hopefully people watch it and understand, you know, in no way, obviously, are we being malicious or, or rude or anything right. of that nature? It, it's all meant with uh, with humor and uh, a firm tongue in cheek. Yeah, and and that comes across as well. If anyone's seen any of your past films, they know almost what to expect <laughs> from a beer nuts production, of that. course. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that as a compliment. So there you go. As well, you should. <laughs> oh, it it is a true compliment, as always, my friend. It's you know very tongue in cheek and. It's a lot of fun, and I, you've gotten some very good actors in this one, too. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I take a lot of time and care when it comes to casting the films because, obviously, I mean, we've all gone to the movies and seen a film, and after about five seconds of an actor being on screen, they're, they're that atrociously bad, it's taken you out of the story completely, and you're like, oh, my God, and you can't, you can't focus on the film anymore because the acting's so bad. So I definitely don't want to be in that situation. So I take a lot of time and care in not just casting the film, but to directing the actors and making sure that I'm getting the performances that, that I really want. And so, yeah, no, I, I was really thrilled actually with how they all did. I thought it was, uh, they all absolutely put in and did a great job for me. So I was really, really pleased. I loved it. You know, the, the different scenes, the one gentleman you have, um, who, when you're, you know, this is how you introduce yourself to a woman and you had to go back. No, 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 that's not what you do. Talk about her dress. Don't, you know, that was just awesome. And then you had the same actor with the binoculars. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. So uh, with, with, with Jackson, basically his direction uh, was, I said to him up front, cause he's like, how do you want me to play it? And I'm like, I want you to think of it like you're the dumbest footballer on the team. And I'm your coach trying to help you out. So that that's that sort of, he's like, okay, I can do that. So, yeah, so we were just going for the dumbest footballer you can possibly think of. That's going to be you. So, and he was cool. Like you say, I thought he knocked it out of the park. He did a really great job. No, totally could understand that. No, he did a great job. And, oh, my God, I felt bad for that poor young lady who was being berated by her parents. Well, well, that, that's 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 correct. So, yeah, basically, with the with the film, when I was writing it, I thought to myself, well, how how do I want to present it? You know, I knew I wanted it to be in a mockumentary style, but there's so many different ways you can do that. So, I thought with this particular piece, I thought, why don't we do it in segments? So, yeah, we've got the encouragement segment, which is with the uh, the young lady of which you speak, and then obviously communication, equal rights, and also contact, how best to contact women. So, uh, uh, yeah, that, they were the four little segments that, uh, that we've fallen under when, uh, when I was writing the film. But, uh, yeah, no, in regards to that uh, young lady, Emily, 
who played the daughter. I thought she was great. And I, I kept having to apologize to her in the, in the rehearsals. Cause I'm saying to Kat and Phil who played the mum and dad, you know, I'm telling them to give her more of a hard time. And, and I, I'm really sorry, Emily, you're a lovely person, but you need to abuse her more. So yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty much oh, how that went down. And they so abused her. And, <laughs> and the thing is, every one of these stories are just not Australian based. They could be anywhere across the world. And that's, you know, it's, you're speaking languages that is all the way that you could see in any culture. Well, yeah, and, and I th- that, yeah, that, that's really important to me. When I'm writing something, I've got to make sure that, because, I mean, I sell my stuff as direct download on the internet, so it's available for the world to see. So I need to make sure it doesn't matter if you live in Finland or if you live in Newfoundland. It doesn't matter. You can still under- understand the jokes that I'm trying to tell. So, yeah, I, I do make a very conscious effort of even down to little things, like making sure that uh, the no Australian sort of phrases sort of slip in there by accident and making sure that it's as universal as I can possibly make it. So everybody can enjoy it. Cause at the end of the day, you know, I want to make work that everybody can enjoy. I don't want to uh, close myself off to anybody want to entertain the world. So I uh, got to, got to do my part and make it as universal as I can. Oh, and you do. And, you know, I'm going to be very curious because this topic is a little more, touchy nowadays than some of the other stuff you've done and i'm going to be very curious to see the feedback you get on this yeah well so my so far people have really enjoyed it and they've laughed a lot because it's been it's been up on the website now for about a week and a half so yeah it's been out and uh, the feedback i've gotten so far has been really positive people like you yourself have uh, have laughed a lot and really enjoyed it and uh, have understood the jokes and uh, yeah really uh, really really been laughing so yeah it's been really really cool Oh, that's awesome. Well, that was, uh, yeah, actually, that was one of the big questions that we got to ask you is how can people see this? How are you getting this distributed worldwide? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this is actually our 18th film, if you can believe that. So we've been really wow. busy. Wow, which has been, congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been really great. So, uh, and, and all of the good thing about what we do is all the films are still available to download. You know, they don't, uh, unlike, you know, the regular cinema where, you know, they get taken down after a few weeks, people can log on. And if they enjoy this particular project, How to Treat Women, they can then look through our back catalogue and see if there's something else there that they might uh, wish to enjoy. So, yeah, just uh, beernutsproductions.com is our, our website. And uh, it's the only place you can download our stuff. So, yeah, just beernutsproductions.com. And, of course, we're all over social media. So YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just, yeah, just type in Beer Nuts Productions and we will hopefully come up. That is awesome, man. You know, Goff, thank you for always including us in your releases and coming on the show to talk with us. And we just love being able to see what you're producing. Oh, no, hey, look, fellas, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you guys are always fun to come on and have a chat with. It's a, it's a really cool podcast. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy your time and appreciate you helping spread the good word of beer nuts throughout the land. Of course, we all love beer nuts. It's one of our favorites. So, <laughs> well, I hope, you know, you're already probably working on your next big project and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely, fellas. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. And we'll have your link to your film up on our show notes. And thank you very much. 
Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now we are about to go back almost 90 years. Good gosh. To talk all about the Looney Tunes. Yes, it is the 90th anniversary. This is it. The Night of Nights. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Overtures. Hell right. of lights. <laughs> uh, this is it, Mike. You'll hit the heights. And oh, what heights will hit. Yes. On with the show. This is it. And joining us on this show, we have our good friend, animation uh, uh, enthusiast, we'll call you, Mark. Mark Heffernan. Mark, welcome back to the station. Oh, thanks for letting me sit in on this one. Absolutely. I... You were the first person that we thought of. I will oh. let you know that um, because, you know, we all those years ago, we spent so much time talking about the history of American in, uh, animation. And, of course, big part of uh, animated history over the world is uh, the Looney Tunes, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, um, the uh, is the, the officially it's the 90th anniversary of Looney Tunes and officially it's the 80th anniversary of Bugs Bunny this year. So lots of big, big moments for Looney Tunes fans this year. Um, I want to talk, you know, obviously we've got a select short amount of time. So um, uh, but like we always do, we want to get a personal perspective on this. So, Mark, what was your do you remember your earliest introduction to uh, Looney Tunes characters? Well, you have to remember, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Um, most, uh, most of the Looney Tunes aired on uh, either, well, they aired two places. Uh, on your local independent channel. I grew up out in the San Francisco Bay Area, so they were carried on Channel 44 uh, in the afternoons. And then, of course, on Saturday mornings on CBS, you had the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show. Absolutely. Uh, where you, you know, so you, you get them on Saturday mornings and then you get them during the week as well. So, and that's how I watch most of them. Now, they didn't show a lot of the early 30s ones, you know, the black and whites. Not at all. Uh, not really. I mean, it was, <laughs> a, it was all, it was all the color ones right. with, with all the characters that you're familiar with the Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig. Sylvester and Tweety, uh, those were the ones that they tended to show. It wasn't until later on when you started seeing the VHS tapes, and then especially with the DVDs, right. that, that you actually got to see some of the earlier ones, especially a lot of the black and whites and the ones that predate all the characters that everybody's familiar with. 
Yeah, the, from the first, uh, we'll say, three to five years. Uh, all right. Um, um, and I want to talk about them a little bit. But uh, but before we do that, Mike, do you remember your first introduction as well? I mean, we're all about the same age. so I imagine it's going to be pretty similar, right? Oh, exactly. Uh, for Looney Tunes, it had to be, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, like the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoon mm-hmm. show. Um, and then, of course, you know, after school and, you know, items like that were my first introduction to it. Um, and Bugs Bunny actually wasn't even my favorite at first. I was a Daffy person. Hmm. And okay. so it was pretty... That, that makes so much sense, really. It's mine! It's mine! It's mine! I'll be fabulously rich. <laughs> 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 yeah. What are you saying there? But then also, and then also Roadrunner and Coyote, you know. Oh, sure. Were, were... Well, I mean, yeah, they were the headline of the show, right? It was Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, right? No room for Daffy there. Oh, um... but I was like <laughs> laughing on the floor at Wiley Coyote, you know, all the different times. And it was like, Dad, you got to see the, you know, it's like, and I wondered where William got that. You know, he got it right from his dad, you know, <laughs> you know. So, but yeah, it was awesome. You know, but yeah, definitely Saturday mornings were my, and like Mark, we all grew up in the same era. I didn't get to see a lot of the black and whites until VHS. And then, you know, I started starting to study animation, especially in college uh, when I went for my second degree and they, you know, we were, we studied the history of animation and that's when I got to see things like Bosco and early Porky Pigs and, you know, items like that or Egghead and items like that, that, you know, a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. The, um, uh, I, and same with me, um, uh, obviously the Saturday morning CBS show was the one where they showed and, you know, there was a d- really distinction between those ones and the ones I saw, like either early weekday mornings on uh, local television or in the afternoons where they had packages of uh, these cartoons. Uh, there was a definite difference um, because it seemed like the quality um, was much higher on the Saturday morning ones. It was like they were saving the best ones for those. Um, and the ones that, uh, you know, they were showing on weekdays were... I think earlier incarnations, uh, the, the animation might've been a little bit less smooth. Um, they certainly didn't seem like they were in as good condition. Um, so, uh, you could definitely tell the difference, uh, I think, but, um, but it was still, but they were all still amazingly funny. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's the one thing that's true of the, and it's amazing about these Looney Tunes cartoons is that for the most part, I mean, we will talk about some some of the stuff that is uh, not as timely, but um, that didn't t- stand the test of time. But for the most part, these these take place in their own universes, and uh, you can watch them. I mean, they were you know from the if you can take a 1940s cartoon, watch it in the 60s, watch it in the 70s, watch it in the 80s, 90s. You can watch it right now, and it's still just as hilarious, just as funny. Um, it, it, it just it, it still works well, it's like they, really, they, they really knew what they were doing there it's really interesting too because Looney Tunes actually stole the crown from Disney on shorts especially from like the mid 40s all the way through the 60s well and that and the fact that yeah they, they did but that was a conscious effort also Walt Disney like moved to like he once he made the first feature I don't think he really looked back 
You know no, what I mean? not at all. So, I mean, he was, he left shorts behind. I mean, he still, they still produced them and they still do to this day. Uh, they're one of the few actually that still shows shorts before movies. Um, um, but uh, okay, so let's let's go back in time um, to. <laughs> 19, yeah, I know, right? Uh, so, nineteen thirty. You know, um, Warner Brothers uh, starts up their their um, cartoon division, their animation division, and it's still, I think, one of the Warner Brothers animation is still one of the best animation uh, studios I think around. Uh, so they were they were in a real rough way for the first five years though of the oh studio. well they they go through ups and downs oh but, of course but they stole a lot of people from Disney to get their right well started. Yeah, right um and so uh so Looney Tunes starts off and uh their big characters are the three B's right Bosco Buddy and then Beans the Cat those are the three big big stars of their first I'd say three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, Bosco was a character that was that had had shorts before Looney Tunes, um, and then Bosco, like I think, quickly within a year or two, like was went on his own. So I mean, so then they had to create another character, so they created a reverse character, which was Buddy, that kind of lasted for a little while. And um, I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen any of these. Um, they they were not shown. Uh, certainly, as you guys pointed out, they were not shown in the, any of the packages that we had available to watch as kids. And they were kind of not released for a while because they were pretty, uh, pretty insensitive racially. Uh, well, Bosco, exactly. Bosco himself is uh, a little uh, black child, right? Well, exactly. He had a very Southern, <laughs> in his very first appearance, he had a very Southern thick accent. And, you know, was very, in some ways people were saying he was hard to understand because he was, he was slurring his words and he was in a deep, had a deep South accent to it. And from what I understand, most of the folks uh, to be in a kind way, refer to buddy as basically Bosco in whiteface. Yes, very much so. There was also Foxy, but he was very short lived. Right. And right. they stole a lot of the storylines from the Disney shorts at that time. Sure. Also. There was a lot of competition back then. I mean, with between uh, like Oswald and then Disney and then, you know, all, all that stuff was uh, a lot of the animation looks similar. I mean, if you look at the, the, the stills and stuff that I've seen of Bosco and everything, they look like early Disney shorts. Oh, exactly. Foxy looked like Mickey Mouse, but he just had pointed ears and a fluffy tail. That was the only difference. Yeah. Now, uh, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, well, a lot of the reason a lot of it looked the same is a lot of those animators got their start by learning from Ub Iwerks. Yeah. Yeah, they worked, exactly. You know, and so there, that's the reason you're going to see a lot of that very similar animation style because they all learned, uh, they learned their craft from mm-hmm. the same guy. Exactly. And a lot of them came from Kansas City with, with Disney and they moved all to Los Angeles at that time. Now, the uh, one thing that uh, I think the one name that we all recognize, because even if you're not really familiar with him off screen, like if you've watched as much Looney Tunes as we like, you know, as you watch as a kid, the name that you see over and over and over again is Leon Schlesinger. Uh, And he was he was the producer right from the beginning. Like this is the guy who was the 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 man behind uh, Looney Tunes. 
Um, and uh, so, yeah, his name is on every single one of them. So no matter which one you're watching, it's always going to say produced by Leon Schlesinger. <laughs> um, but what I didn't know, uh, looking at the research too, is right from the very beginning, he's not, uh, he's not directing right away, but right from the very first short, I think, which is uh, Sinking in the Bathtub starring Bosco, uh, working on that is Fritz Freeling. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning. Yeah, Fritz is right there at the very beginning as well. Exactly. So you had the basis, but, you know, they had to learn, they had to build and they had to, you know, do, you know, you had their own, they had to get the trust of Warner Brothers also, because this is a brand new arm of the studio. And actually Warner Brothers wasn't even that old at that time. So, uh, so, and yeah, before we get any further now, I want uh, uh, Mark, if you have an answer to this, let me let me know. And then Mike, also, uh, if you have something to add too, because you guys are both the historians more than I am. For those people who are not sure, what is the difference between a Looney Tune and a Merry Melody cartoon? Uh, not really a lot. That basically, the terms Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies were basically a play on Disney's silly symphonies. That's right. Yep. Exactly. Uh, basically they used them be you know because the silly symphonies were so popular at the time oh well we'll just call ours looney tunes and merry melodies now later on when they did eventually go to color merry melodies went to color first if i'm remembering correctly before looney Tunes. you're right yep because also merry melodies uh, was a way for Warner Brothers to put a lot of their popular music at the time. They basically made music videos for them. They they animated to uh, the songs and put them out in front of movies. And so that's just a way for them to sell phonographs at the time. And then later on with the Merry Melodies, they also started doing a lot of parodies of the Hollywood elite in the films and you know where Looney Tunes kept doing cartoons like you know that's where they started evolving you know I think the first name other than the ones you just mentioned was Porky Pig started in around 1935 yeah Porky's like the oldest of the really popular uh, folks that we know now yeah but but Porky did not look anything like what he looks like now (laughs) But then again, when well, Porky was, you know, depends on where you saw him. In 1935, when he first appeared, he was a he was a child basically, but he had the stutter. That was the only way you. It was a pig with a stutter, and it was a cartoon that was called "I Haven't Got a Hat." Yeah, that's with beans. Yeah, exactly. It was Porky and Beans. <laughs> I just got that. You get I'm sorry, it. I just got that. Sorry. <laughs> and actually, Beans was supposed to be the big star, but Porky um, Beans didn't appear. He only appeared like in a couple cartoons, but Porky took over, and Porky was the, the big name out of it. And and it wasn't even Mel Blanc didn't come in for like another two years after that, right? And so you know you didn't even have the the voice, you know for it and so you know you had 
you know, so you had Porky and it depends on the cartoon that he was in. Um, sometimes they had him being an adult with, a ch- with kids and he was very heavy set and, you know, didn't even look like the Porky pig at all that we know. And then they started, you know, making him younger and, you know, putting him into shape as he became more popular. And, you know, they've always had him with the stutter and the, 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 and then, you know, it stuck with him doing the, the, that's all folks. And that became their trademark to this day. What's amazing to me is that the, the number of shorts that they were churning out, um, as you pointed out, beans is not in a lot of them. Like he's only around for like a year, really 35 to 36, but he's in 10 shorts. Like the idea that they made 10, like, and that's not even like, uh, you know, that's only a little bit of their production during this time, but he's in 10 of the short, of 10 short features in a year. I mean, that's almost one a month that they're churning out just for beans. Oh yeah. And you know, there was beans cause they wanted beans to become the new face of the Warner brothers cartoons. Yeah. And, it, and by all, it was just, by luck, Porky did. And that's also then in 37, that's when they introduced Daffy. And they also introduced this other character whose name was Egghead. Um, and Egghead later was, you know, he had a top hat and a high collar. And basically he evolved into who's known as Elmer Fudd nowadays. So, you know, and, you know, these are, this is where you start seeing the real creation of what we know as today's characters. And these are all still black and white cartoons, if you also want to know, because Disney had a corner on Technicolor. So all that, uh, that Warner Brothers, um, a couple of the other studios, including the Fletcher Brothers and, you know, um, a couple of the other ones like Woody Woodpecker and stuff, which was starting out at the time was they could only have two color. They couldn't have the Technicolor at that point yet. Now the, um, I think it's important to know. Yeah, it's true. Is that all the, all the, certainly the main characters that we think of when we think of uh, Looney Tunes. Uh, well, then we'll start with Porky, you know, there's Porky, Daffy, uh, Bugs, and then, you know, many, many others. Um, they all sort of have a, a like gradual way that they become like their characters that we know. Like, there's a lot of earlier versions uh, that we probably, it's hard to recognize them until, until all of a sudden they become like that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, the, the big one, the one that sort of, you know, quickly surpasses everybody um, who officially debuted in 1940. But uh, Mike, and you and I were talking a little bit before the show about, you know, Bugs, right? So Bugs Bunny is, is, is goes through a, a few, like, he, he doesn't just debut as Bugs Bunny. Um, and, and there's a, there's a, like a, a couple years where he's like kind of there, but it's not really there yet. No, he, like we were talking about beforehand, he first appeared not as Bugs Bunny, but, you know, Wise Alec Rabbit and such in like 1938. And at the time he was a carbon copy of a Disney character 
uh, that was in the tortoise and the hare cartoon from the earth, I think 1932. So, you know, and the character looked exactly the same. So they had to slowly evolve what bugs was going to look like the sec if, you know, cause you know, that's like the second appearance they gave bugs, the buck teeth and everything. But when he finally appeared in 1940, and this is what you and I were talking about right before we went on the air that we were talking about that bugs and Elmer Fudd appeared as the, in the forms that we know them. And, you know, it basically was a wild hair and that's the first time bugs, you know, had the New York accent and, you know, eh, what's up doc, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. He kind of originally starts off as an adversary, a foil for Porky. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, which is interesting because, you know, Porky, we were talking about Porky being like the big star, at least initially that catches on. Well, Bugs is introduced as his adversary and then it, before long becomes like the main character, like the big character, like of all time for Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, yeah. um, um, like I said, I mean, I've seen some of these early ones. It's been a while. Um, Mark, is there anything from this particular time period uh, that, uh, that uh, you think is significant as well? Well, if you take a look at especially like Daffy, for example, and even bugs a little bit early on, they 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 have more of what you would call they're more like screwball type characters. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think I think it's interesting because as even with even with Porky, they most Looney Tune most of the major Looney Tune characters they they're not fully formed. They develop. Yeah. You know. One of one of the things that was mentioned way back in '88 when uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out was that's not the Daffy that Daffy and Bugs. Th- these are not necessarily the characters that we know, but based on that time period where the movie was set, that's how they were like at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are more familiar with their 1950s versions where Daffy is the sarcastic foil to bugs and the one that goes to Mars and deals with Marvin the Martian. That's the Daffy that most people are used to. The Daffy in the 1930s was definitely not that. No, he was, he was insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting how the, 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 the script flips because when bugs is introduced like I said, we are, you know, Porky's hunting, which is something that, you know, like, all, at least most of America watching this can, re- watching these shorts can relate to. And here's Bugs making his life difficult. Um, you know, Porky's trying to get to sleep at a hotel, and Daffy's like, you know, constantly waking him up. Like we are feeling, we we are siding with Porky on this, right? We're like, this is, like these these characters are annoying. But I think within, I don't know, five years or so, then it flips, where suddenly it's Bugs, who's just minding his own business, in his hole, trying to get to sleep, read it, like live his life, and suddenly here's Porky, here's Elmer Fudd, here's Yosemite Sam, trying to make their, like, trying to kill them, like, trying to kill him and, and get, you know, make his life difficult. Like, it just, it completely flips within, I think, five years or so right he's the darndest to the this rabbit killer (laughs) 
uh, I find that just fascinating where, you know, at the beginning, we're kind of rooting for the human characters and the other ones are kind of annoying. But within like a few years, it just changes. Oh, I hate rabbits. Where it seems like all the human human characters are kind of bad guys. And I also think it's interesting that it kind of Warner Brothers kind of went with a different thing than uh, Disney did. Now, if you watch the Disney shorts, especially when when the main characters come together, they usually come together as a team. You know, Mickey, Donald and Goofy facing off against an adversary as a team. In War in the Warner Brothers and the Looney Tunes and Mary Melody's cartoons, it's more of an adversarial thing. You know, it's not like Bugs and Daffy and Elmer are, you know, getting together as a team. They're facing off against each other. Rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Duck. Fire. It's duck season. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's more of an adversarial thing, which, you know, is where a lot of the humor comes from in the uh, Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies cartoons, because it didn't take very long in the 1940s for Warner Brothers to become the most popular animation studio. I mean, it was pretty quick once they started introducing these popular characters like Daffy and Bugs, and they went all the way up to the top, you know, you know, surpassing Fleischer and Disney, which were the big ones in the thirties. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I mean, part of that was, I think once Disney made Snow White, I think he kind of concentrated on features cause he saw that's what, where there was more money in that. Um, but, and Warner brothers already had, you know, a feature film studio. So they weren't really concerned with making full length features. Um, but they needed something, you know, to open up those features with, to be on the same program and build all those features, as well as other features from other studios. And so you could see Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies uh, before any kind of movie, except for maybe a Disney movie. <laughs> Probably not, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you saw, but also, you know, you had all the other studios through the 30s, and then during the 1940s, they started all collapsing. And, you know, Warner Brothers and Disney were the two that shined through that. Yeah. Well, I mean, World War II left a lot of challenges for all studios. And, of course, the bigger ones are going to are gonna survive. Um, but let's – before we get to, like, you know, World War II and post-World War II, um, so anything – are there any particular cartoons – from 1930 to let's say 1944 and there's a lot of cartoons made in this time period so i i get it this is a tough call but are there any particular cartoons that of note that you guys think are like oh my god that is one of the best cartoons ever made yes 1938's porky and wacky land when porky pig was hunting the dodo it is an amazing cartoon you could find it out there and it is Definitely worth checking out to see. It's pretty awesome. And this is when you start getting Mel Blanc coming into full strength with his voice. But you also have Tex Avery and Chuck Jones starting in. It's pretty awesome during that era. Uh, well, I'm going to go with uh, I, I'm going to go with Porky's Duck Hunt. You know, I granted it. You know, it's one of the ones where uh, it's Porky and Daffy, and I think it's the one that introduces Daffy, if I remember correctly. Yes, sir. 
but uh yeah it's 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 still an awesome cartoon and it's it's definitely one of my favorites from this time period um another some of the other ones to check out if you can find them are some of the uh i think it's the censored 11 if i remember correctly is what it's called if you can find some of those i think some of them are on youtube uh, they're, they're worth checking out. Uh, just Google censored 11. I can't remember the name of them all. Uh, but there, but I will say this much. If, if you are, if you, it's the reason they're censored is because they have a lot of racial stereotypes in them. So, yeah, yeah. you know, but I, I do find them interesting as to watch as a time capsule of that time period, you know, I mean, they're not something that you should, you know, admire, but I think it's interesting to understand the time period to maybe watch some of those. Um, uh, over the years, it's sort of like with Song of the South with Disney. You know, you keep hearing, are they ever going to release it? My um, guess is they probably never will officially release them. But Yeah, we have. Okay, so that leads me to a, just a, a side tangent that I want. And I think... Uh, uh, Mark, uh, Mark, I think you're more of a collector of these. Uh, I don't know, Mike. Do you have these on on Blu-ray or no? They're not on Blu-ray. Right? Yeah, no. Just on... I have um, of Looney Tunes. I have the first three on disc. My understanding is that there's six volumes now. Is that yes. right? Okay. And I don't know when the last one was, but um, uh, so um, and I know they're not in order. In fact, you know no, the very the very first Looney Tune that was done in 1930 doesn't appear until the third volume, and that's because of what you said, Mark. They, in the first two volumes, they didn't put anything that was racially insensitive on those two. But then, by the time that the third one volume came out, they went out of their way, uh, and in subsequent volumes as well, to put disclaimers on there. I think there's a video. Uh, in, like th- segment with Whoopi Goldberg talking about like you know that they're still good but you just have to understand the times that they were in that kind of thing so um but I wasn't sure in, in subsequent volumes if if any of those are still um and not just the racially insensitive ones that you know about like Bosco and everything um I mean as we're going to talk about and this leads right into the war effort uh there's a lot that are done during the war that are kind of embarrassing to watch now too. Well yeah, if you if you uh, <laughs> there there's they the as far as the DVD collections Warner Brothers really did something weird. They did six volumes of the Golden Collection, which is the one most people know. Then they went to something called the Platinum Collection, which they did two volumes of. There's a lot of repeats in that one if you buy both of them. Then they went to something called Superstars, uh, which which focus in on specific characters. It's Warner Brothers has never really quite figured out how they want to package these things. I thought the Golden Collections were the best, but it seems like they went away from that. We're going to do the Platinums, but then they said, no, we're going to do the Superstar ones. And I think the reason for that is, is when people buy these things, they want to buy the characters that they recognize, mm-hmm. which, exactly. is, the re- which yeah. is the reason I think they've gone with the superstars because then they, they can put out DVDs of, you know, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Foghorn Leghorn and all the other characters that everybody recognizes. Right. If you come out with a, 
if you came out with a volume of the first three years with Bosco Buddy and Beans the Cat, nobody's buying that, right? Only only the diehards are buying that, right? The true historians. But... <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. Exactly. I mean, nobody's going to buy that uh, in big numbers. Right. I mean, I mean, you see that. Uh, I mean, when I when I buy comic books and comic strips. Uh, you see that all the time too. I mean, yeah. the big the big characters they can always sell those, but the more obscure characters, not so much. Now, uh, are they available on any streaming service or anything like that? I know that Boomerang has quite a few. Uh, do we know if uh, a lot of these are available just to watch on a streaming service? Not that I'm aware of, but then again, it's Warner Brothers, and I think Warner Brothers is getting ready to push out that uh, HBO Max, and maybe once that comes out, maybe some of them will come out. You know, because cause it's going to carry more than just HBO content. It's just going to have a lot of Warner's content too. So maybe I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what's going on with that, but I'm hopeful. So, uh, so in the forties, well, we'll move to the forties, uh, real quick. And, uh, uh, yeah, we'll probably have to like really pick this up a little bit. Well, so if they want to the- hear more, they could listen to our history of animation episodes, yeah. but we're talking just about Looney Tunes now. So, um, uh, but I mean, as far as the, uh, the forties and fifties and whatnot go, as far as Looney Tunes goes, this is when we start to get like a lot of the characters that people recognize start to pop in, you know? whether it's uh, Tweety and Sylvester, right? Although they did not debut that together. Uh, no, Sylvester Tweety. actually makes his debut before Tweety, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Roadrunner and Coyote, who do uh, debut together. Yeah, but that was in the 50s. Is that the 50s? Yes. Okay. Uh, we get uh, uh, Foghorn Langhorn. Right, yes. I believe that's the late forties. Yes. Right? I uh, do say that, son. I do say. <laughs> Who am I missing? We got some others, right? Well, you you also in the forties you did get uh, Yosemite Sam right. as a new ad- adversary. Um, you you know it was a lot of different characters. You had you know you had Bugs becoming more of the standout, like you had said, Pepe. Right? Pepe makes his appearance in the forties. Yes. Uh, we get Pepe Le Pew. Uh, he was after world war two. Right. But we're talking just the late forties now. Yes. Uh, going into the fifties. Yeah. The fifties we have, um, uh, we have also, um, speedy. I think speedy Gonzalez appears in the fifties too. Um, little interesting thing about speedy that I learned too, is that, uh, for a while, um, I guess a few years ago, Warner Brothers was kind of reluctant to release Speedy Gonzalez because they thought they were racially insensitive as well. But the Hispanic community was like, no, with these, we like these. Like, these are really awesome. Please let us have these. So they've started releasing, uh, or a few years ago, they released, started releasing more Speedy Gonzalez of, uh, old cartoons as well. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It's interesting with Speedy because especially jumping ahead slightly, he becomes a really big star when Warner Brothers decides to farm out some of their animation to to Patty Freeling in the 1960s. He becomes he becomes a really big star in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, even had Speedy, his own TV show. Yeah, exactly. 
so I mean, I, I just think that's, I just think that's fascinating that, you know, you know, he comes in and then he becomes a big star later on, you know, he's, he's one of the latter day stars of Looney Tunes. Um, so the 1940s, 50s, uh, pretty much, I mean, there's a lot of other directors as well, but I think the ones that everybody recognizes is Chuck Jones and Fritz Freeling. They're, they're pretty much like the, the, the golden boys of the directors. He also um, Schlesinger also. I thought Leon Schlesinger just did producing. Well, he, he oversaw everything, you know. Well, of he, course, yeah. He's yeah. still over everything. Right? Yeah, of course. So, yeah. So, um, so then, uh, yeah, so then we talk about the 50s uh, and 60s. Well, thank God for TV because that, you know, brought, you know, the Looney Tunes to everyone's house, you know, literally. Yeah. You know, and Disney tried to fight against that with Mickey Mouse Club and the shorts they put on there, but those were still, a lot of them were not new. And so, and, and Warner Brothers were still putting out new material. And they're not, you know, let's face it, um, as Mark pointed out too, they're different, right? Mickey's, Mickey's are great. Um, they're kind of great for like little kids. Um, you know, they're all about, you know, well, I mean, some of the ones were early ones are Mickey being mischievous and everything like that. But then once really you get, you know, Mickey, Donald and Pluto and Goofy going on, they go on adventures, but they're all kind of doing their own thing. They're kind of working together. Um, you know, I mean, Donald might have a temper, but they're, they're pretty much like just kind of all one big happy family. So you're just watching these, like a family of creatures kind of just like go through different adventures. Um, but the, the ones that Looney Tunes are does are really like adversarial. They're full of action. They're funny. They're full of great lines. They're just zany comedies. Um, and I think they're just more appealing. Is that fair? Yeah, most definitely. Especially, you know, for, you know, people for slapstick and for humor and everything. Disney is more like, hey, kids, look what we're doing, you know. And, you know, you know, Bugs Bunny was, ain't I a stinker? You know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's pretty, it was pretty awesome. But yeah, the 50s and 60s was a golden era for them. You know, it was just continuation. And that's where you got like Marvin the Martian and, you know, things like that. Cause the whole thing was Sputnik and that set off the space race. And that's where they came out with, uh, you know, duck Dodgers and items like that. And then of course you had uh, Robert McKimson, who you didn't mention uh, created Taz. Yes. You know, which... Taz was the 1950s. Yep. And, you know, the interesting thing was, is McKimson, when he did Taz, really did one cartoon and wasn't sure if he wanted to do it again, because he thought the character was a little bit too much. But oddly enough, it was Jack Warner, the head of the studio, who asked, when are we going to get more Taz? (laughs) He wanted more Taz. You know, McKimson didn't want to do it, but Warner wanted Warner wanted more Taz. And you know, the funny thing is, is if you actually look at it, during the classic era, there's only like about three or four cartoons that actually feature Taz. And a lot of these characters, they're not in as many cartoons as you might think. Yeah, we just saw them so often. 
Uh, yeah, they just they just showed you those over and over and over again. I mean, you would think that uh, Michigan J Frog is in a ton of them. He's, he's only he's in one. <laughs> he's in one. <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my sweetheart. <laughs> oh, but what a one that one is, right? Well, it's like I think Yosemite Sam's only like about in twenty five or twenty five to thirty. He's not in a ton, and almost all of his feature Bugs Bunny as well. The the three the three characters that really appear in the most are Porky, Bugs, and Daffy. Yeah. They're they're like the three big stars. Um all right, so I'm gonna ask you a uh you know, Betty Veronica uh Ginger Marianne question. Um do you guys prefer one or the other, Fritz Freeling or Chuck Jones? Oh that's like trying to pick which parent you like better. There is a difference though, right? I mean you could definitely tell a Chuck Jones one from any others or a Fritz Freeling one, right? I mean, they're, they, they have their own kind of, as much as there's a similarity with all the styles, you can really tell. I think, uh, I think especially the Chuck Jones one stands out. Well, uh, especially it's funny. when you look at his animation after Warner brothers, like with the Grinch and Tom and Jerry, his Tom and Jerry ones are insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, a lot di- and a lot different from the Hanna Barbera ones that came earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, very um, much so. So, uh do you guys have a a preference either way? See, the thing with me like when I think of T- Chuck Jones, Roadrunner comes more to mind for those. That's fair. That is yeah. fair, yeah. And, you know, and then you also get for well, so with Chuck Jones, the evolution of Wiley E I Wiley E. Coyote genius. Super genius. <laughs> Super genius. <laughs> and they tried putting him up against Bugs and also the Bulldog. A couple times. So, you know, but he always worked best with uh you know, I just don't don't go up against, you know, the Acme company. That's all you have to do. Um, I think because Chuck Jones did the Michigan J Frog, because Chuck Jones did the Marvin the Martian ones, because Chuck Jones did Duck and Muck, and uh, What's Opera Doc, I, I sort of have to lean towards Chuck just a little bit because those are some of my favorites. Oh, Duck and Muck like is just I, amazing. Yeah, when I think of when I think of classic Looney Tunes for me, like if I was doing a putting a best of collection, like a mixtape uh, for my girl, those would be on them, <laughs> right? Oh God, yes, most definitely. And you know, that's the one thing I also do want to bring up. Warner Brothers was never afraid to break the fourth wall. All the way from the mid 1930s, when during a scene and during one of the Merry Melodies, they had, you know, a bad guy was talking and they showed somebody in the, like a silhouette of someone in the audience stand up in front of the screen. And the character goes, Hey, where do you think you're going? <laughs> and the guy, the guy says, Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm going to sit down. And, <laughs> and then in the next scene, the police are looking for the bad guy and the guy, same guy stands up and snitches on him. It was awesome. And that was like one of the first times they did that. Um, now, Fritz, to me, uh, one of my, I think my favorites of his are, he has this like a series of, them, I think three of them, where various characters drink Dr. Jekyll's potion. 
Because you have one where uh, it's on a, um, there's one uh, where a hide and hair with bugs. Uh, there's hide and go tweet with uh, Sylvester and Tweety. Um, that one's hilarious. Uh, that one is actually hilarious because I think it's Tweety that drinks it, right? It becomes this huge bird, like yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> kicks, kicks Sylvester's butt. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That uh, those I, I think are are good too. Um, and I uh, hey mean, now you see, I'm just drawing a blank too because there's one. Uh, I don't. I think it's a Fritz Freely one, but I could be wrong. But the, what's the one with? Um, where uh bugs goes to the you know the, the sort of castle and oh hair raising hair. yeah yeah with the big orange monster yeah with the big monster is that mortimer yes Goss- gossamer. gossamer gossamer thank you thank you thank you oh such good stuff those are mm-hmm. so good uh yeah and uh I, those are those are great I, I i like both of those i love bo- all those um, and and I know, Mike, as you were talking about, those those are available on all the collections, right? I mean, those are the collections are full of those kind of uh, cartoons, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you buy the, uh, they even have what they call like I think a spotlight collection. If that's all you want, are those cartoons? They came out the same time as the Golden Collection, but they eliminated a lot of the more obscure cartoons just to focus in on the main characters. So if that's all you want. You can get just that. Now, before we talk about the later few years, and I do want to, and there's not, I don't think, as much to talk about, but before we talk about those, and that's going to be real quick because there's not a lot, but I just want to see if I can get from you, what is one, what is a a cartoon from Looney Tunes, and it could be from any era, that you guys absolutely love that you think doesn't really get enough, like it's not considered one of the classics, it's just one that you always just, adore and think is uh uh one of their best mark do you have one that uh that comes to mind as one that yeah it's not usually on people's top 10 list but it's one that you just love i can't remember the name of it right now but i love the one where bugs gets clunked on the head uh by an apple and then goes back in time i I just i just can't is that the the one uh is that the mark twain one no, it's not the Mark Twain one. It's the one where he goes back in time. It's like a medieval era. He faces off against a knight oh, and a right. dragon, and a dragon, and then eventually meets up with Merlin. Yes, you know, and I I just can't remember the name of it right offhand, but uh, I I really enjoy that one quite a bit. It's probably that's not, that's not the one with the singing sword, is it? No, that's that. That's not the one. With, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an entirely different one. It's going to bug me now because I can't remember what it's called. But uh, you know, uh, it it's a really fun cartoon, and I really enjoy it. And maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll search on the internet while Mike uh, mentions his. All right, Mike. Well, my all-time favorite Looney Tunes ever. And this is flat out is Duck Amok. Okay, that's and, not unknown. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's like saying your favorite Beatles album is Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> what, what's what's a Sergeant Pepper you're talking about? What is what is a Sergeant Pepper? You speak I'm just of? saying, like that's like <laughs> no. Uh, one of my favorites is actually, um, you know, one of them that is not very well known 
is the one I was mentioning earlier, the Porky and Wacky Land. Okay. Where he meets the Dodo for the first time. Gotcha. That's a good, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's the first of the modern era of Looney Tunes that we're more used to. And, you know, breaking the third wall, um, you know, Porky, you know, fish out of water, you know, he's being the innocent guy and, you know, trying to capture the Dodo and, you know, going into Dodo land and, you know, just it's very surreal in a lot of ways for especially 19, the mid 1930s. It's like, all right, I know there was an acid at the time, but wow. You know, type thing. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it's awesome. It is truly a masterpiece. If you get a chance to see that one, and I found I found the name. It's called Nightmare Hair. Ah, okay. Ah. Um, I think, and this might be considered uh, some people's favorites too, but uh, I'm going to mention it just because I'm a big Robin Hood fan. But Robin Hood Daffy. Uh, there's, a, I think it's is the opening where he's just like practicing on the log and Daffy, uh, Porky, who's a totally different Porky than the, what we were introduced to in the thirties and forties, early forties is just, he's Friar Tuck and he's just laughing at him. Uh, when he's uh, trying out the quarterstaff uh, and he spends like, I mean, it, hard. And it, and that's, <laughs> that's all it is. All you're watching is Daffy Duck practicing with a quarterstaff. And it's hilarious. Like it's just over like minutes of that. Um, I, I just, it's just brilliant. Oh, and Daff, Daffy is just awesome. Cause he's the wannabe actor and trying to be the action star of the Scarlet Pimpernel when he did. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're getting ready to wrap this up, but of course, you know, I mean, Looney Tunes haven't gone anywhere. Uh, they still exist. They still show up for the past 20, 30 years, 40 years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've been in motion pictures. They've, uh, had various uh, shows on Cartoon Network, most notably, uh, they've appeared on commercials and everything like that. Um, I know it's kind of a, a broad thing, but I mean, obviously it's not quite the golden age, but is there anything of note that you guys can think of that you want to bring to people's attention over the last, we'll say, you know, 30, 40 years that really like kind of to you holds up with the golden age of these characters? Yeah, very easily. Uh, Animaniacs. Oh, good call. Yep. Very much so. And Animaniacs is coming back next year in brand new episodes on Hulu, Ooh. including Pinky and the Brain, because they patterned the uh, Warner Brothers and Dot uh, on the early Warner Brothers characters. If you you know notice the art styles and how they looked and everything, and it's the it captures a lot of the humor from that time. And, you know, from the 1930s, 1940s, and it's just, it's just a great, great throwback that you could do. And then also Tiny Toon Adventures, you know, it was the next, supposed to be the next generation of the Looney Tunes. And, you know, it was great. It was a great intro for people like William's age and everything mm -hmm. to be able to kept watch it. And so it was pretty cool. Mark? Anything uh, from the last uh, 40 years or so, 30, 40 years from you that uh, in a modern era, we'll say, um, that uh, you appreciate from featuring the Looney Tunes characters? Well, I think the one that I enjoyed the most uh, was probably Looney Tunes Back in Action, the the feature film. Mm -hmm. um, oh, was that the Steve I, Martin one? 
that was the Steve Martin one. I felt it was a better use. It wasn't as big a hit as Space Jam. Oh, obviously. please don't bring that up. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, but, they're working on the sequel to that too. Yes, I know with LeBron James. I know. Yes, but but uh, it wasn't as big a hit as Space Jam. But I felt it was a better use of the characters. I thought it was a much more enjoyable film. Uh, you know, using the classic Looney Tunes characters. You know, so. You know, and it's worth checking out, especially if you're a Doctor Who fan, because there's one scene in there where where you'll see a Dalek. Ooh, yes, our eyes on that. Um, I uh, two things I wanted to bring up uh, as well. Um, one, of course, you mentioned it. Uh, I think Mikey mentioned it, or maybe Mark. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Of course, we have to. That was a high point. Uh, I think uh, having having you know, seeing Daffy and Donald on the screen together, seeing Bugs and Mickey on the screen together, whatever versions, just as cartoon fans, I mean, you just, I just, you have to geek out at that. It's amazing. And probably never see it again, right? I mean, it's still, it was amazing that it was able to be done at all. Um, But the other one I wanted to point out, uh, a little series that uh, aired from 2003 to 2005, it had three seasons, uh, Paul Dini actually worked on this. Uh, it is Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century. Actually, it's just called Duck Dodgers. And it was a full animated series featuring Daffy as Duck Dodgers. Um, if you haven't watched it yet, it's three seasons. Uh, it features a lot of uh, other Looney Tune characters as well. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, it's just, it's, it's really funny. There's a lot of like really fun stuff there. Um, uh, Marvin, of course, is a, a big part of that series as well. Um, just really cool. Uh, I don't know if it's available to watch anywhere. I don't know if it's on the Boomerang. It must be on Boomerang, I would imagine. But I don't know. I, have, I don't get that uh, uh, streaming service, so I'm not sure. But um, All right. Well, I think that kind of covers it. Um, is there any last words that you have to say before we say, uh, you know, the traditional line that you say at the end of uh, Looney Tunes shorts. Uh, Mark, is there anything you want to leave us with as far as the influence of Looney Tunes? Uh, Just uh, however you want to watch it, uh, they're definitely worth watching. Uh, And I'll I'll just say this. My favorite character, cartoon character, Looney Tunes is Taz by far. Oh, okay. Go ahead. My favorite by far. And that's okay. the reason why when you were asking Frizz Freeling and Chuck Jones, <laughs> I'm going to be the guy that's going to say Robert McKenzie because he introduced Taz. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough, Mark. <laughs> uh, Mike, what about you? You want to name your favorite character and, and anything else you want to say? Well, favorite character probably is Daffy. And I have to say, you're despicable. <laughs> you know, Mike, uh, you know, we sell them. Seldom agree, but uh, Daffy is my favorite as well. Um, uh, the the Duckamuck, as well as the Robin Hood Duck, uh, Duck Dodgers. I mean, he just had so much fun. As much as I love Bugs, uh, just there was there was something about a uh, a Daffy cartoon that was just so they could do so much fun with him, and he was a great foil, a great foil for Bugs. Um, so uh, I appreciate that as well, and so. In the words of actually um, Porky, uh, that's all, folks. So we will um, end this segment, and we will be right back with the ESO Network Con Report. 
welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the animated show, The Owl House. The Owl House is a new Disney cartoon headed by Dana Terrace, who was a storyboardist for Gravity Falls, for anyone who's been following the recent last few years of Disney shows. The Owl House follows Luce, a young teenager who has a really big imagination and dreams of being a witch and for magic to be real. After getting in trouble at school, her mother sends her to Reality Check Summer Camp to help her not be so weird. She, however, ends up following an owl through a magic door and ends up in the Boiling Isles, where magic is a big thing, and her dreams of, be of magic and becoming a witch are now possible. Luce meets Ida, who is the, called the Owl Lady, who is the strongest witch in the Isles, as she likes to call herself and is also somewhat a criminal. Ida agrees to teach her magic, and Luce comes to live with Ida and King, the cutest little demon king ever, who is Ida's roommate. This show has a lot of really fun adventures as we learn more about Ida's past, Luce's struggles at becoming a human witch, which is hard because witches in this world have a part inside of their body that helps them do magic, which humans don't have. We see Luce figure out how to do magic on her own, which everyone seems really, really surprised that she can do, since she's not a magical creature. She meets kids from a local witch school, learns about the witches' guilds and the laws of the area, and starts to understand why Ida is a one at criminal for not choosing one form of magic with a magic guild and doing all forms. So far, this show has been a lot of fun, and I'm so excited to see the remainder of season one and where it'll take us, since this is on a weekly schedule like a lot of the new Disney shows that are coming out. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. For the week of February 28th, 2020, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Next weekend, uh, February 28th through March 1st, is MarsCon. That is in Bloomington, Minnesota. It is a science fiction fantasy convention with a, uh, a, a huge um, dementia uh, set of programming, meaning I think that's uh, referring to comedy, comedy skits, comedy music. And, of course, that is attractive to uh, the Flopcast. It's right in their warehouse. And Cornflake from the Flopcast will be at that event. She usually goes and uh, uh, actually leads Dementia Water, water Aerobics for that event, which uh, I still want video on that. I'm still waiting. Um, but this year is uh, also very special. She'll be performing. She'll be performing on Friday night as well as, I believe, Sunday as well. So you can catch Cornflake in action all over MarsCon. Uh, and again, that's February 28th through March 1st. Uh, then in March, first weekend of March, is March 6th through the 8th is Inuhele. That is a tiki event in Atlanta, Georgia, held at the Sheridan downtown. Um, it is uh, the second annual um, in New Haley event. And uh, the first one was a great success. Uh, I was uh, proud to be part of it. And I'm honored and proud to be part of uh, the second one as well. So uh, come on down and get your tiki on in New Haley. Uh, it's, again, it's March 6th to the 8th. Uh, a couple weeks after that, March 20th to the 22nd is Toy Lanta. That is a uh, toy show, um, which Mike and I uh, were, we had to miss it out, uh, miss out on it last year. 
But uh, this year we are excited to return. It's in a new location, and we're excited to hear all about that. If you need more information on Toylanta, visit uh, joelanta.org. I think they also own toylanta.org as well. Um, and you can find out all about it. It's just, you know, everything that there is to do about toys. Mike and I will be doing a panel on Sunday. Uh, we'll have the more details on that uh, probably next week on, on that report as well. And we will also be participating in panels the week after, March 28th through 29th, at SC Comic-Con, one of our favorite shows of the year, held in Greenville, North Carolina. Mike and I will be, we're still waiting to get our set panel schedule for that. But uh, we are looking forward to that. And that's a great time. We encourage everybody to come out to that one, as well as the other shows we've mentioned as well. And if you have a show that you would like us to help promote or participate in, please reach out to us because we love talking about conventions. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Mark, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was a lot of fun talking about the uh, some of the cartoons that I used to watch as a kid on TV, and uh, then eventually started watching them as uh, as a adult uh, via DVD. You're gonna, you're gonna go watch them now, aren't you? Oh well, I, yeah, probably. <laughs> I want to watch some so bad now too. I'm like, oh, we just talked about them. I'm like, now I just want to see a few of them. I think uh, I think I'll dig out my platinum collection number one and watch the Taz cartoons again. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally, it's just been awesome. So um, you just were at Gallifrey, um, and you were telling us some of the stories before we started recording. Uh, if you get a chance, folks, go check out his pictures up on Facebook. He did had such an amazing journey and everything. Anything you want to shout out about, my friend? Well, other than Gallifrey One, I just want to thank uh, Sean and all his team out at, out at Gallifrey for putting on another wonderful show. Uh, it was really a lot of fun. It was nice to meet uh, Christopher Eccleston, who's now finally beginning to do the convention rounds. Uh, you know, and I think I think you know, along with meeting uh, one of the current actors on the show right now, uh, Tozen Cole was out there uh, who plays Ryan. So I mean. A lot, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, and got to got to go to a couple of panels and uh, got to sit in and listen to the second assistant director, Mark Corden, uh, and talk about uh, the making of the show, which was actually probably one of the more fascinating panels of the weekend. It was a that lot of is fun. awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I might have to go back out to Gallifrey maybe in the next couple of years. And because it was it was an exciting adventure and the guests they get are, are for Doctor Who are just spectacular. Oh, absolutely. They, they do a really good job with uh, bringing in guests, especially guests that normally you wouldn't see at these conventions. I mean, they had a I mean, they'll get a lot of guest stars, you know, that you don't normally see, like like the girl from the Witchfinders was there, you know. And most most of the time, you're not going to see that that type of person at a Doctor Who convention. They're going to get a doctor or one of the major companions. They're not going to get like a guest star most of the time. So, and I find that kind of interesting. Plus, they get a lot of the writers too. You know, uh, they had the writers for three of the episodes from last season, and so, and they also worked on some of the episodes this season, like the writer from the Witchfinders. Demons in the Punjab and Kerblam. They were all there. Oh, that's awesome. 
yeah, it was really great meeting them too. So that is very cool. Well, thank you again for being with us. We couldn't do an animation episode without you, my friend. Oh, well, thanks. And Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you're going to shout out about tonight? I do. I want to give a shout out, a big, big, big shout out to our good friend, Chris Hamer. Uh, Chris Hamer. uh, We know him and we love him. Uh, He just had a character named Byron and he's been uh, promoting with his uh, artwork as well as uh, self-published books for quite some time. But recently, uh, Chris hooked up with Scout Comics, a publisher out of Florida, and uh, they've released a quarterly comic, The Adventures of Byron. Uh, this is the first time I think Chris has been published by a, a major or a semi-major publisher. He's been in previews. You can get this in almost any comic shop. Can uh, If they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you through previews and Diamond Select. Um, and I'm very happy with him. I, I saw him at a comic signing just over the weekend. He's very happy. And I'm, you know, I look through the book. It's very uh, professional looking. It's the uh, artwork by written uh, and artwork by Chris with uh, some coloring by uh, another good friend of ours, Joel Sabi. Um, it's, uh, you know, and he's very excited. He's going to do some more work for Scout Comics as well. Uh, I think he's working on a horror book for them too. So uh, I'm happy for Chris. He's, he's finally making it happen. Yay, Chris. Yep, Chris is a great friend of the show. And he's also the designer, or well, actually, the pain giver of my tattoos, I should say. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys check Chris's work out, he does amazing stuff and definitely worth checking out. And you could just look under Chris Hamer on uh, Google or on any social media. He'll be up there. So definitely check it out. Um, my Better Late Than Never. Um, to go along with what Mike has been doing with Ashley. And, you know, she's always, we always tease her about, oh, you haven't seen this or that. So I have a guilty thing I need to talk about real quick. I um, have been late to the show with watching Breaking Bad, but Judy and I are rectifying that finally. We are now on season three and we've been power watching through it it's like you start watching it and you're up till like two in the morning because you don't want to stop it's that good of a show and everyone's been saying why haven't you been watching it why haven't you been watching it we just have so much to catch up on so we're now up to breaking bad and everyone says once you get through that we got to watch better call Saul so you know I guess we'll be busy for quite some time with that should be a lot of fun, though, and it should be really interesting to see what happens with Walter White. And, you know, you think he's, you know, you pity him at first, but then you just start seeing, man, he's an SOB. And it just gets more and more so. And people tell me, since we're still at the beginning of season three, we haven't seen anything yet. Say my name. Say my name. So, and so it'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait to uh, continue with it over the next few weeks and probably not even a few weeks, probably by this time next week, we'll be done the series. There's Mm. a good shot. Uh, But speaking of coming back to you again next week, we're going to do something a little bit, you know, go off, you know, on a different tangent next time. And we are going to be looking at our favorite post-apocalypse movies. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about, you know, disaster, you know, what is world coming to and in this day and age it's not so far-fetched anymore so it'll be interesting to talk about 
Until then, my name is Mike Faber. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mike Gordon, hope you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you next time here on Earth Station One. Peace, and we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.